0: Hey, Leo. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I- I'm I'm all right. <laughs> you you practically asked that with a tear coming down your uh, eye. Like it's, no it's, one's ever asked me that before.
1: I find it fascinating that it's such a phrase used as like a handshake these days. Oh, sure. People say how are you, but they don't really care. They mm. just it's like saying hello. So when somebody who actually gives a shit about me asks, I'm like, oh, do I have to think about this? Do I have to like really? Wow. So that was a. That was what that was.
0: Well, the answer is no. You don't actually have to think about it. It's more, it's more just an opening vibe. Fair enough. But I do actually care. <laughs> I wanted to say publicly, congratulations on your phenomenal new intro for season two.
1: Oh, you noticed. Yes. Yay. Yes. All those cool new quotes <laughs>
0: that we have. Yeah. The, the only issue that I have with it, I just have one issue with uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. You've pulled so many great quotes from part one, for the season 1. Uh-huh. And then you did an entirely new sack of quotes for season 2. Yes. What are we going to do at season 10 or 11?
1: Uh, it's going to have to start being things from Krull or... Uh, <laughs> Children of the Corn 5. <laughs> That's it, exactly. <laughs> All of your favorite quotes from Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I did actually think about this. I'm like, you know, some of these are really classics and very the way I tie them together is very deliberate. You know, I don't know, 10 or 12, if we get that far, it's going to have to be Garbage Pail Kids movie. Yep. or Mr. <laughs> exactly, it's going to have to be. This the fucking side character that yeah. nobody cares about. Night of the
0: Demons, but it's gonna be like maybe I'm in the mood for pork chops tonight. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen's repossessed.
1: That's it. That's it. Exactly that. Right. I will. I will add any Leslie Nielsen quote you want. That guy's a fucking genius.
0: All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Spoils of Horror. Hopefully, we get to a season ten. My name is Steven. I'm still Leo, and this is episode number fifty-five. Maniac Cop what an excellent day for an exorcism
1: They're coming to get you Barbara It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. Come and play with us, Daddy. Well, tell me, yes, we do. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? To die, to be really dead—that must be glorious. We have reached episode 55, and it's one that you've been waiting for for quite a while, actually. So I will ask, why did we now choose this movie? When
0: I initially pitched the show to you, and we had our first conversation about what types of movies we would cover, for whatever reason, the first movie that came out of my mouth was Maniac Cop. Yes. And I think it was because Maniac Cop is like the perfect movie for our show. Uh And that it's just bad enough and just good enough Mm. all at the same time. And you and I are very proud of the fact that we run the gambit. Yes. I get so proud when people say, oh, shit, those boys go hard. They'll like, they'll fucking do, you know, like Suspiria and then they'll jump over there and they'll do some like graduation day and they'll like, you know, and then they'll do like an old sci-fi, like the giant claw, like, Uh you know, they'll just bounce all around. They just don't give a fuck. And that's true. We don't. We do think a little bit about, okay, maybe it's time to do something (laughs) people have heard of.
1: yeah,
0: (laughs) Which are movies we love too, but we just kind of have a passion for doing stuff that's like obscure now granted if you're in the horror community you know maniac cop it's not that obscure it was a good movie to set the tone for you know what you and i are are so passionate about in this show because it's it's very much your kind of movie Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's kind of one of those mid-tier horror movies that Mm -hmm. that you love to do Mm -hmm. and it's also a good movie for me because i like making cases for movies yes that Many people think are bad. I think this
1: movie's pretty good. I don't think it's as art house as you like, but I, I, <laughs> it, I think it's still in the wheelhouse for you.
0: <laughs> it it does not have. It does not do like a like a deep dive on like sexuality <laughs> and identity. <laughs> But it tells a pretty interesting story. It's also just fucking
1: B movie gold. This is B movie royalty. That's oh yeah, what this is.
0: I mean, you've got Robert Zadar. you've got Laureen Landon, Bruce Campbell, Tom Atkins, who's great in the movie.
1: Richard Roundtree. You know, it's a Larry got-
0: Cohen movie. Yep. It's it's it. This is like B movie gold.
1: Yeah, it's perfect.
0: You want to do it? Let's do it. After some serious close-ups of a cop putting on a uniform, a waitress walks home from work. Two teens assault her. After kicking their ass, she makes a run for it. Chased to a nearby playground, she runs to a cop standing in the distance. He grabs her by the throat and snaps her neck. At the medical examiner's office the next day, Lieutenant Frank McRae is shown the waitress's body. Her throat has been crushed. Based on the statement of her assailants, he believes they didn't kill her. He thinks the killer might be a cop. Driving through New York, a guy and his girlfriend make out while stopped at a red light. A gloved hand knocks on the window, telling the guy to step outside. The woman watches as her boyfriend stands in front of the car, is beaten with a nightstick, and tossed into the windshield. She screams, starts the car, and drives all the way to Los Angeles, where she starts a fitness studio called Rhonda's Workout and begins killing clients with a giant (laughs) diaper pin. Shut up. (laughs) Did you catch who that was? I did, absolutely. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: For those of you who have not listened to our Robicide episode, you the really woman in the car to. plays Rhonda. At the commissioner's office, <laughs> Lieutenant <laughs> McRae defends his position that murders are being committed by a cop. The commissioner's hostile, bringing up the lieutenant's previous suicide attempt and implying McRae might be the one killing people in the streets. Later that night, a man suffocated in wet cement after being handcuffed by the killer police officer.
1: You always know a classic 80s genre horror film when you see it because it has all of the telltale signs from hearing the synthesizer score to the overlit night scenes to every bad guy is sporting a bandana.
0: Yes. So I don't want to skip this. I do like the opening shots of the Maniac Cop putting on his uniform. I think that those are a nice touch. This movie, d- despite like how laughably low-budget it is, it finds ways to be artful and almost classy. I mean, how much money does it cost
1: to show somebody putting on a uniform, but it works and it sets up the character nicely? For what it's worth, this is one of the reasons why I love Uncle Lloyd so much. He, He's a producer on the movie. He Yeah, a trauma put it together. And he likes to have a hand in things without having to take control over things and his influences his suggestions show up in every fucking movie that comes through his studio and it's really cool to see that kind of work in this film which should have all the elements of an amazing film and somehow doesn't rise to the occasion in most cases
0: no for me this is a 50 50 movie for every moment that's good it's bad Mm -hmm. the waitress unexpectedly kicks ass
1: That is true. She's really good at defending herself up to a point.
0: Right. This woman's taken a lot of self-defense for women's classes. (laughs) She uses everything at her disposal. That bag is a registered weapon in her hand. Yeah,
1: I know there's an old stereotype through cartoons and whatever else about women beating the shit out of people with their purse. I don't know what she's got in there, a cannonball or whatever it is, but she's knocking these guys five feet off the road. But she runs, she goes to a playground.
0: She's a good fighter, but maybe not very bright because she hides in the middle of a jungle gym. <laughs> right? Which I don't know if you, if she, she quite understands that, that jungle gyms, hiding in the middle of a jungle gym is the equivalent of closing your eyes and thinking no one can see
1: you. I was going to make <laughs> that same comparison. It's like how a kid covers their own eyes and thinks they're hidden. Right. That's what she's doing. She it's, might as well have been standing out in the open going, you can't see me. It's just a bunch of bars. She might literally, <laughs> she might as well be standing
0: like with a palm leaf in front of exactly her. Exactly that. So she runs over to the cop, which is like wonderfully backlit. Yes. You know, and Robert Zadar has such like a, like a look.
1: Got a very striking profile. Yeah,
0: he's got a very striking yeah. look. And so funny enough, I just assumed watching this movie that this dude was like 6'8". He's the same height as I am. Oh, is that true? Yeah. How about that? So uh, she runs over and he snaps her neck. And these early kills in the movie like kind of baffle me. Mm. Look, everybody knows, you know this from the minute the movie starts, you watch what's happening. A cop is murdering people. Yes. So you're trying to figure out why. And you start to think early on, are these people committing crimes? And he's just taking the kill too far. And then you go... Well, what's her crime? Was she running in a playground?
1: I had this exact note, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we'll find out Maniac Cop is going around getting people who done him dirty. Then we find out through Tom Atkins' character, this gal who got killed, she was just somebody who ran that bar or that that diner or whatever it was and she was very friendly to all the cops and she knew all the cops and she was just a lovely lady and everything was just wonderful with her and never did anything wrong to nobody and then this cop just fucking kills her the only thing i can think is either he's got a Pamela Jason Voorhees vibe going on with who's controlling him and she's just like go get somebody who annoyed me today or he's got I want to send a message to the other cops vibes that this shit's happening so I'm going to kill somebody you like
0: I just really like the idea though that it was because she ran across the playground well trespassing is a crime well, imagine if he had snapped her neck, and then he had just looked over at the sign on the fence and pointed, and it said, no running. Or
1: get like, a pool, or keep off the grass. She does, though. Maybe
0: it's something else, though. It could be a different crime, mm. because she does look at the cop and say, I'm being chased by two Puerto Rican kids, and that's not very it's not very sensitive. So maybe she was murdered for insensitivity. I didn't hear that. I didn't know that she'd said that. That's funny. What if he snapped her neck and said, oh. it's Latinx? <laughs> Racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Welcome me to my listening circle, crack. (laughs) (laughs) This is your sensitivity training. (laughs) But then it leads to the second kill, which is these two people that are, you know, in a car driving, you know, (laughs) fast down the road. They stop really quickly at a red
1: light. Like, is that the crime that they committed? It's interesting to me in a couple ways. This scene. First of all, Kids are just speeding down the road being kids. Right. Then suddenly the girl in the passenger seat screams stop because the light's turning red. Nope. They would have just gone through that light. Fuck you. Right. So that's not realistic in the first place. Secondly, all of the happiness and the partying and the smiles and the goofing around together that they were doing for the two minutes leading up to them stopping in the red light died the moment they stopped that car. Well- this was the most depressing <laughs> red light I have ever seen in my fucking well, life. But well,
0: they do start to make out. And so that's that's what led me to like, well, like what is the crime that he committed? Like he stopped too quickly at a red light, kissing in public, dating a woman in a robicide. Like I can't, <laughs> like what's his crime?
1: <laughs> Maybe it was because she was in this movie. It gave her the starring role in the next movie and that was the crime. Like, oh, you, that's right. Like... This, is, this is your penance for being a maniac cop. <laughs> I don't know, man. It is weird because it doesn't really... This part of, I like the through line that he's on a revenge kick, but the early kills don't make any goddamn sense to well, the revenge story.
0: Well, and, you know, so there's there's going to be a, a later, like, hint that maybe the police officer is that he has brain damage. If it's just simply... That he's misreading minor misdemeanors, hmm. I'd be okay with that because yeah. one of his things in, in Matt Cordell's backstory is that he was
1: pushing the law too far, like uh, RoboCop two, where he was just too many directives and right. being a dick about them all. Yeah,
0: the problem though is that that's not scary; it's funny. Correct. So, like, if you have a, like a litter bug that like throws like a <laughs> like a cup on the ground. And, and, you know, like, and Robert Zadar shows up and says, like, no littering, and blows his head off. I can that see comes s- off as funny.
1: Slicing somebody's throat because they coughed in a library. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> so you could argue that this whole killing spree is meant to cause a distraction, you know, so that he can go on the killing spree he actually wants to go on. I thought, watching this movie, even though I had seen it before and I had didn't remember every detail I thought we were going to find out these three people were connected
1: yeah but there's no nothing once they're dead they're gone we don't talk about what the autopsy of Cassie when she's in the morgue that's the last we hear of these three when Tom Matkins is looking over her and then they move on from that scene yeah they barely
0: mention because those two kills happen afterwards and they barely mention them
1: yeah, they don't mention the two kids in the car at all, and then right. that's the last we see of her, and then these three are never mentioned again in the movie.
0: you got to give Rhonda some credit, though. She was smart enough to turn on the windshield wipers when, yeah. she, so, when she
1: drove away from the, this, from the maniac Her comp. boyfriend gets his throat slid, gets thrown into the windshield, which shatters into a gazillion pieces. I don't think the wipers are going to help <laughs> <know>. that particular <laughs> but, windshield.
0: But it's not even an accident. It's like she literally, you watch her hand go, yep, and then the windshield yeah and then the two
1: windshields, <laughs> Like, this whole thing is shattered. I can't see through it. Oh, there's a little blood on it. Let me get the wipers going. Oh,
0: my boyfriend's face is going from left to right across the passenger side. But, I mean, the businessman, too. So there's a businessman that's getting into his car, and they make a point when the maniac cop shows up and and handcuffs him.
1: Oh, that's right, yeah. They make
0: a point for the businessman to say, this is my car. Which, again, I would have been totally okay if that the maniac cop was just either misinterpreting crimes and they weren't crimes at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what happened with the girl in the beginning. But what does she think she's doing? What does she think that she's assaulting them? Like that she's just, she's just Those causing a noise boys. disturbance. Like, yes. <laughs> like I can't read that. She's clearly an innocent. Whereas this guy, okay. He's misreading that. That the, mm-hmm. that the guy's breaking into a car when it's actually his own car. Yeah.
1: Well, and again, not to get too ahead of the game here, but that's why I was doing the Pamela Jason vibe. Yeah. As an option, maybe it's because he has the brain damage. She's guiding him saying, here's who you need to go. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you have to do it. And he's just blindly following Which still doesn't make sense because how does she know, and how does she say, Oh, get whatever whoever comes down the street today, kill them.
0: Okay, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's a second character. So so Matt Cordell, who's the maniac cop, he has like a girlfriend. And his girlfriend is going to say, Hey, you're killing way more people than I thought you were gonna kill. Yes. So again, it's clearly like the intent Mm -hmm. that he's killing these innocents. I just don't get
1: why uh, freddy versus jason same thing where freddy pretends to be pamela sends jason to go kill and then he just won't stop killing that's why i was thinking kind of the, maybe the same thing where she's like hey go take care of this one person and he's like well i've got 4 hours to kill before i have to get home i might as well slaughter a few more
0: yeah i just i don't know i was yeah. running through the gambit with this guy with the car i was like illegal parking like
1: yeah i don't pro- know
0: crime don't know. of fashion his shirt was pretty <laughs> ugly like i but you do got to love this guy's plan for survival so he gets away he got the handcuffs on which is a a nice touch yes and he runs up to every building that doesn't have a single light on. That's right. It starts being like, Help! Help! And then he rents to a random apartment and starts pressing buttons with his nose. Yeah, which honestly,
1: good. Well done. If and it were typical... a different
0: movie and it was like a he was trapped in a building and he had to do that and he had to uh-huh. hit the buzzer, uh-huh. it'd be fine. But he has the whole entirety of New York in front of him. Well,
1: and that's the thing. <laughs> There's not a diner or a bar or some other thing on this street that you can go into that will be a public place.
0: Yeah. And I know he tries and he trips and he falls into the wet cement. And yeah. Then the, the maniac cop pushes his face into the cement, killing him. I do love the shot of the next day with the workers there. They have the jackhammers and they're, they're breaking the cement around this dead uh-huh. guy, which I know is to get him out of the cement. But what it looks like is that they're just doing their job around him.
1: That's right. (laughs) They just showed up like, who the fuck is that? Don't care. Get to work. It's It's, a New York thing. It's a union job. You (laughs) gotta be on the clock. Go.
0: There are dead bodies all over the place. (laughs) You just work around
1: them. Forget about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Lieutenant McRae meets with an old flame in a seedy bar. She's a sensationalist reporter, and he wants everyone to know a maniac cop is on the loose. Handing her an envelope with sources and information, they go their separate ways and her report causes mass panic. The next morning, a woman's car won't start and a police officer approaches. She pulls a gun from her glove compartment and shoots the innocent officer, killing him. In a New York City apartment, Officer Jack Forrest is getting ready for work when his wife Ellen questions him about working at night. She doesn't like being alone, is worried he'll get hurt and suspects he's lying about something. Clearly struggling with her mental health, Ellen begs him to stay home. Frustrated, he leaves anyway. The phone rings. A mysterious woman asks Ellen why Jack's killing people at night, implying he's the maniac cop. Ellen hangs up, grabs her gun, and follows him down the street to a motel. She walks in on her husband, having an affair with Officer Teresa Mallory. Running out of the room, Ellen gets pulled into a mysterious van. The next morning, her dead body is found.
1: Detective McRae, played by Tom Atkins, is a unique character in that he's one of the few movie cops that is actually smart and doing everything correctly. Like, he's figuring it out.
0: I told you that for everything that doesn't quite work for me, there is something that does. And a big part of that is Tom Atkins as Mm McRae. I love his character. And I think the script does a really good job at telling us a lot about him, very briefly. So we know he has had a suicide attempt. A partner of his died.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know he has the overworked cop syndrome, like he can't have a life out of being outside of being a cop. Right. He's had a relationship with this woman that she clearly likes him, but they just can't make it work. Mm-hmm. He worships Cordell when he was alive. They tell us a lot about him. In very small ways. And it makes him an insanely endearing character. And I'm not just talking about the normal. Plus five to charm. Tom Atkins usually has in any role. I'm no fan of uh, Halloween three. He's great in the movie. But this really is a fantastic character. And it's. I don't think it serves the movie well that he dies earlier than he should.
1: I had the great pleasure of being able to be in a movie with Tom Atkins, mm-hmm. the, the movie that I did. I am always blown away by his acting prowess and his ability to take whatever is handed to him, whether it's a great script or this script, make it really work and really sell. And his characters are always on point. A great example of that is when he's with the commissioner having this conversation and we're learning these little bits about his past and the commissioner says something to him about i don't ever see you smile anymore and the forced smile that he puts on for that camera in that scene is one of the greatest things i've ever seen in hollywood it's very funny i love his little
0: line to cassie when she's on the
1: on the table
0: He's like, you must have been so afraid. Mm. He's genuinely moved by this idea that a killer cop must be really terrifying to people, which is the movie's really going to dig into this idea that you're wearing this uniform that is supposed to make people trust you. Yeah. And we know that that is very something people are very politically aware of now. Mm-hmm. But the movie made 40 years ago, not everybody was. As aware of that. Some people were, but not everybody was. It wasn't
1: like it is now in the conversational mainstream. Right. Yeah.
0: And so you've got Tom Atkins being very, he's very empathetic to that. Mm -hmm. I think 75% of the script is great. Mm. I just think there's 25% that sinks the fuck out of it. (laughs) But one of the things I love in this movie is this whole police procedural. Yeah. I have told everyone that it's this guy, Matt Cordell. Because it made sense to reveal the secret. And we're spoils of horror, so we spoil the fuck out of it. The truth is, you don't know who the maniac cop killer is for a while. And even though he's not a present character, like you could never figure it out, I really enjoy watching the pieces
1: of this mystery come together. I think that's one of the things with the script for me. I don't know that it's a negative mark on it, Mm -hmm. as much as the movie doesn't seem to understand what it wants to be. It's not exactly a horror movie. It's not exactly an NCIS cop drama. It's a little bit of both, but also something else thrown in. And they never seem to land on one thing or the other. I really like the way they're doing it. I like the way they've handled it. And I like how it's performed. I just wish they could say, this is our definitive mark. We're also adding these other stuff to it instead of trying to make three movies at once.
0: I actually don't disagree with you. I just think that that bad movie comes in In the last 20 minutes. Mm, That's fair. I think watching him put together the pieces. And you're right. He's a very smart cop. Mm -hmm. Often the way he gets information is by tricking the other person into giving him that information. Right. The movie finds this great happy medium with showing how smart he is, showing how capable he is. And yet the maniac cop never loses his status as being the big bad villain because being smart isn't really going to do much when you when your villain is bulletproof exactly and yeah. and incredibly strong but the movie can do a good job of setting up like okay Tom Atkins is a capable hero
1: And I love that, especially when we're talking about an 80s slasher flick, which is technically what this falls into. The idea of having the cop be an intelligent, thoughtful, good-at-his-job person is not common in those kind of stories.
0: And I think it also sets up really well one of the complicated parts of this movie, which is that the movie really owns the fact that people really struggle with cops. Yeah. And so you have... A cop who is a good cop trying to do his job. He's not a perfect man, which would make him boring. Of course. But he has done his best. He tries to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that contrasts with the maniac cop who is taking law into his own hands, who's going too far. We don't know why he killed those people in the beginning, but there's, there's a track record that he has killed people for very small crimes and and he shoot first and ask questions later i think that the mystery as it unfolds is really fascinating Mm. the problem is is it just leads to a place where then the movie has nowhere to go which is just okay you have a zombie cop (laughs) but we'll get there when we get there
1: because that takes us in the script now to the introduction of the other really great actor in this movie
0: I know that not everybody is going to talk like they're a Laureen Landon fan, but I really like her. Maybe I, th- I think she's a little cute,
1: but I also,
0: I don't know. She's just one of those actors that has B-movie charm. Do you know what I mean? Do you know how like there's actors that are in a million B-movies, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you know that they're not the best actors in the world, mm. but they have B-movie charm? For sure,
1: Yeah. That's Lorene landed to me. But that's not who you're talking about. In any way, shape or form. No. <laughs> I'm glad you got that off your chest, though. <laughs> Obviously, we and I, by the way, I love the way they set him up in this. The movie takes a moment to cut to a scene with him having an argument with his wife. They're having marital troubles and all that. Good scene. It's a wonderful scene. It doesn't show Bruce Campbell's face straight away. They just show a cop getting ready to go out and be a cop. And it getting looks exactly the same on. as the beginning. Exactly. what? Yeah. I was, yes. Sorry. I'm excited. I know. <laughs> so Shut the fuck up, Steven. Got yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, It. what I love about this scene is not only that is it's giving us the red herring of is Bruce Campbell actually the maniac cop, it allows Bruce to do something you don't get to see him do in a lot of other films, especially in his early career. Mm-hmm. I've seen some reviews and criticisms of this film where they're like, you took this great comedic actor and you made him boring. I'm like, no, 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 no. You took a really wonderful, uh, versatile working actor and gave him something to do that's not slapstick, and he owned it. He yeah. fucking nailed it. He's a guy having trouble with his wife, and he's having an argument about it, and it's a good scene that would land in the best soap opera on earth because it was really well-performed, yeah. and you're shitting on that just because he's not smashing himself in the head with a fucking book or ceramic yeah. plate or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'll back you up on all of that. I won't get into my own personal stuff, but there was some stuff in this scene that hits a little too close to home for me. For sure. And so I will say that it is very well performed. And you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I love when we get to compliment a person in a small role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. The wife is great too.
1: She really is. Absolutely. And as much as I compliment Bruce Campbell about this, this scene would not have worked as well if they weren't both fantastic in it. Yeah. Anyone who has had a serious argument with their significant other Will look at the scene and go, "Oh shit, I've been there."
0: Yeah, and I love when she says, "You know." So they're they're arguing about him going to work because he's working nights all the time. She's you always know,
1: left alone. Doesn't want to be left alone. Right. Well,
0: yeah. Which I mean, it it becomes very clear he's having an affair. That's mm-hmm. why he's actually leaving. She he says, "I'll be home late. I'll try not to wake you up." And she says, "You can wake me up."
1: Yeah, almost as, that, as if begging him, like, "Please wake me up." Oh, I'd that I'd rather. that yeah. line
0: broke my heart every yep. time. Yep. Like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. Oh, again, again, it's related.
1: If you've had any, you've been there. You know, and you see it, and it's just such a great performance by these two actors. I cannot get over it.
0: Yeah, they're really, really good. And uh, he goes to the a motel so cheap they will give out keys to the rooms for
1: free. I think it's hilarious (laughs) that, and also that it's three blocks away. Yes, if you're going to have an affair. Behind your wife's back, could you maybe do it across town?
0: Maybe four blocks. Maybe, maybe. In the next city over. <laughs> right. <laughs> like. So he walks to the budget in, and the reason I say gives the keys away, he goes into the room with his cop partner, Officer Mallory. And then she just walks into the office and somehow, I don't know if she flashed her tits or pulled (laughs)
1: out the gun, whatever she did, I don't know if she blew the guy, but she comes out with the key. In a very short amount of time. Yeah. It's like, walk in, hey, can I have a key to that room? Yep. Boop. She didn't even know what room it was. She just pointed. The one up there, the third door from the right. Yeah, that one. I just picture that
0: guy never looked up from his nudie magazine (laughs) and just slid
1: the key over. He's staring at Linnea's ass. She's like right. distracted. There yeah, you go. she's got like a chainsaw in her hand. <laughs> chainsaw, yeah.
0: It's what, these old, it's what these old horror movies always do. They have a Fangoria. <laughs>
1: That's it, exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just slides are the key. And then they have a pretty standard I caught you cheating on me scene. She has a gun in her pocket, pulls it out, but doesn't use it. And we should mention, meanwhile, there is somebody who has called her on the phone. As Bruce Campbell leaves to go have this affair, presumably goes to work, somebody calls his wife on the phone saying, why is he leaving so late? Maybe he's the killer. Oh, ho, ho. And just fucking with her head.
0: Yeah, this is all parts of the mystery that I really Mm -hmm. enjoy And, and makes sense to me in the end. They have to frame Bruce Campbell because part of what is important to the maniac cop is he, he wants to have, maintain his reputation. Right. Even though he's risen from the dead, he cares about how people think about him. Yes. And I actually have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I actually think that's a great motivation. The fact that he needs to frame Bruce Campbell's character for all this makes complete sense to me.
1: Well, he's got to frame somebody. Right. And at this point, I don't want to say Bruce Campbell's character is a rookie or anything, but he's not a high lieutenant. He's not a captain or a sergeant. He's just a guy, a working guy. Well, and the fa- affair makes him vulnerable. Exactly.
0: And the cop is so... Self absorbed, mm-hmm. and and again, the brain damage implies that he's kind of lost off his rocker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's willing to kill the wife. I actually have no problem with the wife kill. Not at all. He it just makes sees sense. he just yeah. sees that as a a means to an end. Even though he considers himself a good guy, quote unquote.
1: Well, in his mind, this would still be the good guy thing to do. If yeah. he's following a certain train of logic, it's worth that, it for
0: all I have to do.
1: Precisely. Yeah. This is going to get me to the end goal of being the ultimate good cop. Ergo, this woman must die that's some of the stuff I wish the movie could do a little bit more with. I agree completely. We're having a good time with the show. Hope you're having a good time listening. Now we're going to let you listen to somebody else say some ads and stuff. Well, hello. I'm Dom, and I'm the host of Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre. Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre is a delectable delight of True Crime and the Macabre, sprinkled with just the right amount of that dry British humor. Horror House can be found anywhere that you listen to podcasts and is on Instagram at Twitter at HorrorHouse underscore pod and on Facebook at HorrorHousePod. Episodes are released weekly on a Friday or as weekly as studying full-time and working part-time allows. So why don't you make a brew and come join me as I weave tales of horror and discomfort. Until next time, stay spooky. Welcome to One Hundred Horrors, a comedy podcast that seeks to rank the best one hundred horror films of all time, as dictated to us by a poster that one of us owns. Every week, we bicker over another film in an attempt to give it an overall scare factor and secure its place in the One Hundred Horrors list. With features such as. I don't
0: die! But at least I won't die like that. And.
1: What would you say to them at a we take a light-hearted approach to horror cinema so that it can be enjoyed by even the most squeamish of listeners so whether you're the person who's never seen a horror film in their life or the person who has a tattoo of Leatherface on the right ass cheek there's something to be enjoyed in every episode of one hundred horrors, horrors. <laughs> Don't forget, you can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Give us a positive review on Apple and Spotify. Email us at spoilsofhorror at gmail.com. Now we're going to get back into the show.
0: Jack's arrested for the murder of his wife. Officer Mallory can provide him an alibi, but he doesn't want to admit to the affair and ruin her career. He first decides to wait a week in prison. If the killer isn't found... Jack will share the information to remove himself as a suspect. Eventually, he reveals her identity to McRae. She's in danger. Whoever framed Jack knew about the affair and called his wife that night. Mallory's working undercover at a strip joint when she's attacked by the maniac cop. McRae shows up and shoots her attacker, but the killer escapes unharmed. At a bar later that night, Mallory describes the officer's incredible strength, swears she shot him directly in the head, and tells McRae the only person who knows about the affair is an officer named Sally Nolan, a woman with a leg brace who works in the records department at the station. Arriving at said records department, McRae lays on some Tom Atkins charm and tells Nolan about the attack. He watches her pained reaction, excuses himself, and follows her when she leaves the building. The whole conversation was a ruse, to get her to visit whomever she's supplying information to. He follows her to a warehouse, where she meets with a large man dressed as an officer. She says he's going too far killing people that don't deserve it. Once he kills the mayor and the commissioner, she tells him he needs to stop. McCray hears all this and leaves.
1: Not to spend our time backtracking, but as we're coming out of that last narrative into this one, It occurs to me, how good of a cop is Bruce Campbell's character, really, if he doesn't even know he's being followed to that hotel?
0: It's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) But when you have an erection, it's hard to think.
1: That is true. There's only so much you can do with the blood loss. Right. I say that jokingly, of course, but to bring it back to Tom Atkins' cop character, who fucking owns it in this scene and just trying to get that information and working that cop drama and getting his character into these places of I'm going to get the right information from the right people really well done can I tell you about another small character that I love? Mm. Jack's lawyer. Oh yeah. So this this lawyer walks in. I,
0: I love this character. He's so matter of fact. He walks in and he just assumes that Jack committed the murder. One hundred percent. He just yep. walks in. And he goes. So we can just tell him that you blacked out in anger, and then you like, and then you broke her neck and you slashed her throat.
1: Uh, it happens all the time. We'll get it. We, there's a precedent for it. And Bruce is there, like, I didn't fucking do it. <laughs> right. What the hell?
0: <laughs> I just want him to
1: keep going, like. Uh, so you like
0: so you blacked out, you got a little angry, you ripped off her head, you pulled off her tits, you wore them on your head maybe like earmuffs. Then you maybe walked around for a little bit, said I'm a cute
1: girl, You hooked then, up some wires to a Barbie doll, tried to make a new wife. Yep, then you killed three more people and then after that it was probably just a moment of rage, maybe you were drinking too much. You were drunk. That was it. That was go. it. Oh,
0: a man gets so mad when he uh, you know when he's cheating on his wife, he just can't control himself. <laughs>
1: There's a scene with Bruce gets down, talks to the lawyer, and then Bruce talks to Tom Atkins' character, yeah, reveals who he's having the affair with, mm-hmm. somebody on the duty roster. I don't know about you, I've never worked at a place where I've been having a fling with somebody that I worked with, and then they found out and congratulated me for it.
0: I know, (laughs) that was like... Smooth move, Tom Atkins. He's like,
1: congratulations, good pick, well done.
0: This is the guy that sucked on a tit in Halloween 3. (laughs) Absolutely, I buy it completely.
1: (laughs) i was like you know I would have got in trouble for that if he's, not fired. There,
0: there is like again <laughs> I keep saying this because like Tom Atkins is a is a really great actor and I really yes. enjoy him, but he kind of fits in both the A actor realm and that he's very talented, yep. but also in the B actor realm and that he can always play himself. Yes, and a good B movie actor is engaging. When they're always kind of playing themselves.
1: Correct. To an extent, there's a reason why Tom Atkins always gets kind of the same character role sure. every time. He's really good at doing this grizzled cop character.
0: Right. Now I do think he's also a good actor in the other side. I, I agree. think he can actually do both. I agree. But he's playing himself when he's like, Yeah, good job boning that uh, exactly. Teresa <laughs> Mallory. <laughs> Woo! <Woo-hoo>. Oh, wooga. <laughs>
1: Let's get a beer. Let's go. <laughs> we can take you out Tell of me all about service. it. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I, if I was having a fling with somebody at work and somebody find out about it, they wouldn't be giving me a high five. They'd be like, you know, let's have a conversation with HR. But it was the 80s. I don't know how much HR was going on back then.
0: Sure, 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 sure. One of the things that I really like in this movie is that earlier, Officer McRae put a plan forward to give a bunch of information to his sensationalist reporter ex-girlfriend. Because he wanted to warn the public about the maniac cop. But I love that his plan doesn't work. Uh-huh. And it causes mass panic.
1: Yeah, it goes in the opposite direction of what he wanted. And
0: there's a scene where a woman shoots an innocent cop because she gets so scared.
1: Yeah, her car was stalling out and he pulled over behind her just to kind of check on her. And say to help okay. her. Okay. Right. And she just took a gun and shot him through the fucking window.
0: Back to where we currently are. There's a scene where McRae is sitting in a bar room and he's watching the screen as people are talking about what's happening with this cop. Mm. The commissioner's furious about these innocent cops being shot, and then we see these different people come on the screen and they're talking about how cops should be respected uh-huh. and nobody should be shooting at them versus now I'm terrified of cops, I tell my kids to stay away from them and then a black guy comes on and he's like my friends have been shot in the back yeah. which you know what I mean it's like holy shit you know we're talking 40 years ago and listen I'm not saying I'm so naive that I just found out these things are <laughs> happening Jesus Christ I couldn't believe when people were saying that you know yeah. in 2020 but you have this random B movie that is directly addressing people that were black had like, were quite afraid of
1: the police and rightfully so in many cases,
0: right? And then you have another person who gets on and she's like, oh, well, like the crime rate has dropped. And I was telling you off mic that I was thinking a little bit about the politics around movies mm-hmm. that are about cops and how you'll hear podcasts cover them and sometimes they get into this big throat clearing where they're like oh yeah, you know yeah. we know that this is an upsetting film for some people or you'll get some movie about cops that's totally meaningless and then you'll have the host trip over themselves to be like we understand that these cops are horrible and yeah 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 i had told you that i i wasn't really sure what we were going to say around any of the politics of cop's relationship with, you know, groups and minorities, but the movie wears it on its sleeve. And I, yeah. I
1: forgot about that. Yeah. It's interesting, especially as you say, something 40 years old. It's fascinating to me how these things have a lifespan. It's been going on longer than people think it has. Sure. Maybe the movie just accidentally Touched on it by hiring. Uh, we're gonna have these four actors play the people being interviewed, and this one happens to say this thing. I, I'm not saying they did it on accident. Yeah. Uh, but whatever reason it was there, it was there, and it's been there for forty fucking years. Yeah. That we're we're still having that dialogue, and we're still having that moment where we can look back on this and go, "Hell yeah!" That brought me so much more into the movie
0: because mm-hmm. I'm like, "This is really interesting." Because I I've got this this you know McRae character who i like mm-hmm. who who part of his like journey is that he's so horrified at the idea of a cop yeah killing and hurting these people and making them so afraid and then he's watching the screen and seeing how people are reacting to them and then you also compare that with how the people are reacting. They're so terrified that they're killing innocent people, which I don't want to see that happen. Right. And then also you have the extra layer that the maniac cop was actually taking the the law too far.
1: Yes. You know mm-hmm. that
0: he was killing. He was shooting first and asking questions later. Right. And a lot of the different cops that talk about him later in the movie, they all talk about him in very different
1: ways. Some people think he's a hero. Some people think he's a villain. Some people think he is just that weird guy. We didn't really. Go yeah. to the bar together because I didn't know how to deal with him.
0: Right. Some yeah. are like, he's a, you know, they kind of treat mm-hmm. him like a psycho. The others are like, he was a hero. He yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: cleaned up the streets. Yeah. And that's really what it is, too. You're talking about not a 50 50 divide, but, you know, half the people are saying he's cleaning up crime and he's, who cares if they were right or wrong? They're dead now and they're good. They, they, whatever. in the neighborhood's less crime and less gangs and less whatever. And then there's the other side of it. Like this guy's given the rest of us a bad name. He's making cops look like shit. That's not how we're supposed to do things. And-
0: yeah, this movie does a, a good case in this part. Mm. It doesn't make a good case throughout the whole movie, but in this part, it makes a good case that regardless of whether you are a type of person that is all cops are bad or a person that I'll, I'll leave out all the people that act like every cop is perfect. I'm just leaving them (laughs) out. I mean, that Uh, is perfect. Or you're a person that says, listen, there are some bad cops, but also there are some good cops. Mm. Let's have a more complicated conversation around this. Regardless of where you fall, this movie is making a point that when people wear a uniform, when they're supposed to protect and when they have this level of power and they're doing fucked up shit with it, that it completely destroys the community it and how end. people see who are the, the people who are supposed to be the good guys.
1: Yeah, because how can you, what authority, what protection, what level of community security do you have if the people you turn to for that security are the ones who are fucking you up?
0: Yeah. If Tom Atkins had made it to the end of the movie and they hadn't just focused on a cheap we have to surprise everyone death. Yeah. That could have been a really fascinating through line.
1: Especially, and I'm not sure that they intended it at the time, having two sequels to follow. It's something that could have run through those three films and been a really strong story plot. I totally agree. Can we go to where Mallory meets Cordell?
0: Yeah. Our maniac cop. So she's undercover. She's dressed like a prostitute with hair... That's so big. It wouldn't make most bridge clearances.
1: <laughs> Thank you. 80s.
0: <laughs> in our last episode, we talked about some of my favorite bad horror tropes. Uh-huh. And this scene, as much as I like all the actors in the scene, because it's a, hey, it's like, it's all of a bunch of B movie actors that yeah, I yep, love. Yep. One of my favorite bad horror movie tropes. He strangles Mallory. She falls on the ground. McCray shows up. They both start shooting him and he vanishes yeah without either of them looking away
1: that's right just poof
0: yeah right he's just gone like the only thing they're missing is a bamph <laughs> and like the night crawler like purple poof <laughs>
1: Maybe he turned into a bat and flew off or something. I don't know.
0: I picture he just looked like a pussy. Like he just, <laughs> was, he was like, ah! They're like, shooting! They're shooting! <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. He just, yes, he put his hands over his head. Uh, and just
1: was like, ah! Mom! <laughs> sally (laughs) i think there's another trope in here that sadly i don't think is just a movie trope where she's pretending to be a hooker to catch people (laughs) for doing (laughs) prostitution the (laughs) guy comes up has a chat with her he says you're not a cop are you and she goes oh you asked the magic question of course i am because somehow there's this delusion in people's minds That if you ask an undercover cop, if they're a cop, they have to legally answer yes. Well,
0: so I actually wondered that it might be entrapment if they don't answer yes.
1: I don't know. That's the thing. Because I've heard, on one hand, that that's true, that they need to answer that because of that reason. Right. I've heard, on the other hand, that is completely false, that they don't have to tell you.
0: It might be different states or different times, because the whole point of entrapment is that if the act went through i mean first of all was the act created by the actual police force or the whole legal system that created it but also the idea that no actual crime was committed
1: and that's where you have to do that balance right, right? You know i mean so I it's mean, like you're yeah. talking somewhere between john walsh and chris hansen there's this gray area of when is it okay and when did they actually commit the crime? You know, right?
0: And I mean, I was uh, the only difference. Obviously, is like those people are committing
1: way, way worse. Oh no, crimes. No. I'm not trying to literally compare those two right. things. I'm just saying, if you're driving up and you pull over on the side of the road and you talk to a woman on the side of the road, sure. that doesn't necessarily mean you're up to anything. Right. You could be sitting there asking for directions to the McDonald's. Well,
0: I also just think it it's un- it's like idiocy because then every single guy would just ask every single prostitute if she's a cop. Exactly. Like, literally, Officer Mallory has just spent the entire night being like, yep, I'm a cop. Yep, <laughs> yep time. I'm a cop.
1: Yep, because <laughs> that she would be caught the anybody. first fucking question out of my mouth right. if that was true and I was a type to go out and look for prostitutes. Right. First thing, you a cop? Good, driving on. Second
0: question is much saucier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you get through this quiz.
0: <laughs> yeah, she can't have caught too many guys. <laughs> no. Searching through old newspaper clippings. McRae researches a celebrity officer named Matt Cordell. He was arrested for violating the rights of citizens, put into prison with inmates he had arrested, and murdered in the shower room. Some think justice was served, while others think he was murdered by the politicians who put him in prison. Talking to another officer in the room, McRae finds out that Officer Cordell was romantically attached to Sally Nolan. At the warehouse, the maniac cop sleeps, dreaming of his time in prison. We watch as his face is slashed, and he's brutally stabbed to death in the shower by three inmates who sneak up behind him. McRae, Mallory, and Forrest meet in the interrogation room to exchange information before McRae excuses himself to the records room. He's hit from behind by Sally, who screams, He knows you're here, and that I'm no good to him. Running down the hall, she finds the dead body of an officer and screams, He's here! McRae arrives as Cordell smashes through a window, grabbing Officer Nolan and killing her before turning his attention to McCray. Back in the interrogation room, Forrest and Mallory realize what's happening and escape, while McCray is thrown through a window and killed. Seeing that officers are dead, and that Forrest escaped with Mallory, everyone
1: assumes Jack's the killer. Leaning on that conversation we were having about, for every good thing there's a bad thing, it was not necessarily the right move to kill Tom Atkins' character at this moment. There's a lot he could have done. There was more. And I understand how it feels forced. Like, they didn't do it to advance the plot, per se. They just wanted, oh, let's surprise everyone. Ooh, isn't it weird of us? Compare that to what I consider one of the really good parts in this of Bruce Campbell's acting. There are, and I, I was looking this up just now because I wanted to make sure I got it right. There are people who have these critiques and these reviews about it saying, Bruce Campbell's role of straight romantic lead doesn't get to do much for what he does best, which is A, hurl himself through the air, B, get showered with viscera, or C, spout one-liners.
0: Oh, and fuck it off. makes me you, you sad. Ever Bru- you ever seen Bubba Hotep? Fuck off.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. It makes me sad that people think that's all Bruce Campbell is good for. And here he is in this movie showing that he's actually a really fucking good actor and people aren't giving him the credit for it.
0: Oh, and yeah, I- he's great in it. So he's uh, Lorene Landon. <laughs> no, I just want to say that now every time. Um, no, I'm no. trying, Bruce. I'm trying. <laughs> no, uh, No, he's great. And it's not so much that the passing of the torch is handled poorly. In Terrifier for instance, it's handled poorly because we barely know the Victoria character when uh, We barely <laughs> I didn't know, we know had our the vi- back on set. <laughs> character. <laughs> we barely know her when she takes over for Terra. Right. The reason that that's not the problem here is because Bruce Campbell's character is a character we know.
1: And we've gotten attached to. We've gotten to give a shit about it, to some extent or another. So
0: when Forrest and Mallory take over the movie, we're attached to them. We right. care about them. Mm-hmm. The problem with Tom Atkins' character's death is that it loses all narrative thrust. It loses everything that was interesting about this movie, which was the complications of a cop who's trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. facing down a cop who just doesn't give a fuck about the right thing and is just more focused on his revenge than doing the right thing because he's willing to kill all these other people to get there.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. It's the very unexpected to have the the brutal beating and subsequent death of McCrae in this scene. It doesn't mean anything if it destroys what his narrative was or has been or could have been.
0: Hot take. Surprises in movies are over-fucking-rated.
1: Mm-hmm. It worked in Psycho. It doesn't have to work in every fucking movie. Because Psycho isn't about Marion Crane. Exactly. That's why it worked. That was the whole point. This is not necessarily the story of Cordell. This is the story of how that's affecting the town around him, about the police service, about Jack, about McCray... This is their story. Right. About
0: how when people who wear uniforms that you're supposed to respect when they go bad.
1: Exactly. And he just happens to be the catalyst to it. When the character who is trying to figure it out and put a stop to it and give a shit about it and send the right message out to the world. And as much as I love Bruce Campbell and his character in this film, he wasn't necessarily the go-to hero for this. He was just a guy who got wrapped up in it because he got framed for
0: it. No, if I rewrote this script, I'd kill him. Exactly. And I'd keep McCrae and I'd keep, and I'd keep uh, Mallory. That's my point.
1: I would have taken Bruce Campbell's character out of the equation, not because I dislike him or dislike his acting or any of that bullshit, but it would have been a, a more powerful moment in this moment of the film.
0: Well, and it would have given both of them something to fight for, Mallory mm-hmm. and McCrae. Their yeah. friendship would have been enough of an interesting thrust for those two characters to
1: continue forward. McRae still would have had his, let's make this happen. She would have had, let's make his memory live on. Do right by him because he died needlessly. Yeah. It would have strengthened the two of them. They could have got together to fight.
0: It doesn't help that through the latter part of this film, Bruce Campbell's character, his motivation is to clear his name and never to right the wrong to his wife.
1: Or the cops that he works with. Yes. Or protect the uniform and the image that it's setting. Or protect the people. Exactly. It was all about, I need to not get blamed for this shit. And And I don't mind that that's there to a degree... But when you talk about passing the torch, also, you're not passing the same torch. Right. You're giving him this, here, fight for what I believe in torch, and he's like, okay, I'll put that in my pocket, and when I'm done clearing my name, maybe I'll get to it.
0: Right, and I think that's part of the problem with the script, is that the theme doesn't get passed
1: on. Exactly. If
0: part of the story had been this young cop understanding that that he's been actually pretty selfish... And that he needs to be more aware of how this is, how this whole story is affecting people, how his own fuck up mm-hmm. played into it. Exactly. Then he could have, again, sort of like the theme of the movie could have been carried through with him, mm-hmm. and then there could have been a whole like, okay,
1: McCray's death isn't in vain, and like he would have the that revelation. He would have had right. that great character turnaround to make him a better cop and a stronger hero, and all this other shit. Mm-hmm. Mallory is the only one that feels
0: like she cares about anything more. Than her own death.
1: Like her death and her affair and all. Right. (laughs) I mean, right? yeah, exactly.
0: I do have a question, though. Maybe this will be rude. I know the actress doesn't actually have a limp, but can we talk about Sally's limp for a minute? Sure. If you have a limp on your left leg, what hand do you hold your cane in?
1: Typically the one that needs to support the left leg. Yes, which yeah. she never does. I agree.
0: <laughs> and there are times that she walks just fine. And then when she comes out of the records room after beating Tom Atkins with the thing, it is like she has never walked before. It's like it's like like in those like miracle movies where somebody like gets out of the, the wheelchair for the first time and they're like, I walk.
1: If you've ever seen a movie or a theatrical production where somebody has to pretend to be blind. And they do it by staring at the ceiling. Yes. They're not looking forward. They're not looking left and right. They're not even moving their head up. They're just rolling their eyes upwards to the ceiling as if they're completely exhausted by this whole affair. Mm -hmm. That is the worst representation of blind you could ever do. It doesn't work. It doesn't look good. Stop fucking doing it. And that's what this is with her and the cane. I know. This is what I mean. And I, I hate doing it. But this is what I mean by bad acting. I, you know. Gotta put like I know. She's like a famous actress. I know. It was actually a big deal that they got her in this. She was well-known for a lot of other shit before this. Yeah. I don't mean to take away from her as being a great actress up till now. But I don't know what caused her to not get this. And I, I get guess A that small it's... paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I understand some actors, they just, God, this sounds so cliche, but what's my motivation? She doesn't understand the need for the, the, the brace and the cane and the, how it works and all that. But there is also, and I'm not saying she's either one of these, on the other side of that line, the actors who just don't give enough of a shit to do the research.
0: Yeah, and she plays the scenes well where she's in yeah. love with
1: Cordell. and Her emotional acting is great.
0: Yeah, she's clearly a little repressed, mm-hmm. a little obsessively attached to him. Yes. She's morally conflicted because she knew he was going to go on this whole revenge plot of killing the commissioner and killing the mayor, but didn't know he was going to kill all these innocents like she's
1: fine with it up until the innocent people start dying and then she's like okay no well
0: and she has this really douchey line then where she says i thought you were going to kill all the junkies and the lowlifes and it's like well that's pretty fucking shitty too exactly but what's too bad is that other than i don't like what happens to mccray because we lose Mm -hmm. what makes the movie interesting but the police station scene is actually pretty cool Oh, yeah. I love when he comes through the glass and grabs her. It's a good jump it scare. It is a
1: great scene, absolutely. Yeah.
0: I don't love the way he kills her. It looks like he's rubbing her back to death.
1: <laughs> it's just too hard of a massage. Right.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to work the knots out. Accidentally kills Oop. her. He's like Frankenstein. There he goes didn't mean goes your spine.
1: It. Oh, well.
0: And Mallory and Forrest all going through the place and finding all the dead cops is great. Yep. So there's there's a lot in this scene to like. Uh it's just that there's just some little little tiny farts here and there. I would just like to make a suggestion uh-huh. to the inmates in Matt Cordell's dream. <laughs> Officer Cordell, our maniac cop, is dreaming of what happened to him, which works. It's it's meant to make you a little sympathetic to him. Yep. He is in the shower room and he's all alone. Cause generally when you're not part of the general population, you're you shower alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude. Yes. I mean like not, you know, he's as tall as I am as I found out, uh-huh. but he's, he's beefy dude. Yeah. Muscular wide. Mm-hmm. And they send the, the three scrawniest podcasters. <laughs> That they could find within the
1: <laughs> the three litter bugs that he caught. The guy that got in there for jaywalking.
0: Yes, that got tax evasion
1: <laughs> and loitering. <laughs> yeah, and they're the ones that decided to take down the big dog in the yard.
0: Yeah, so they send them in, and they have this sort of like Eastern Promises style fight. Right. Where they don't show his balls on their face like they do (laughs) in Eastern Promises. So anybody understands that reference? There's a phenomenal David Cronenberg movie called Eastern Promises where Viggo Mortensen's Russian mob boss gets attacked in a sauna, I think it is. It's a very good movie, but because David Cronenberg just doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) Ever. When these guys attack him, they show Viggo Mortensen fight back totally nude. And I get why it's meant to show how deadly he is, that he literally doesn't have to have a weapon on him. Yeah. And he's able to take care of all these attackers. But never in cinematic history did you think you would see Viggo Mortensen's balls on somebody's face.
1: Those people had to act that shit out. So you want to be an actor. So you want to be an actor.
0: Just a quick bit of advice. If you're going to fight this guy, why not start with the shivs? as opposed to <laughs>
1: yeah as opposed to what they do start with which is bear hugs i mean if you want to run in and just touch his silky smooth skin ask right if you're going to try and fuck him up start with the knife
0: yes it's like it's like they're big fans of irish spring <laughs>
1: We're gonna lather you up, <laughs> yeah. Irish Spring. Here comes your loofah party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, your soap smells wonderful. They just all go into these like bear hugs, or they do the thing. They do the thing that little guys do when they fight big guys, which is they jump on their back.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just kick their legs and try and choke hold them, I guess, or right. sleeper hold or something. I don't know what they're just,
0: doing. Just, just start with the shivs. Yeah,
1: it would make your life a lot easier. Yeah,
0: exactly. Trying to clear his name. Forrest and Mallory meet with the coroner at Sing Sing Correctional Facility to find out what happened to Cordell. While performing the autopsy, the coroner realized the star officer was still alive, but essentially brain dead. Thinking of Cordell as a good man wronged by politicians, the coroner secretly released him from prison. Mallory and Forrest don't know how he's back, but they know he wants to kill the mayor and the commissioner for their role in his imprisonment and murder. Mallory shows up at the commissioner's office, warning them about Cordell. She's arrested and handcuffed to an officer. Ignoring her warnings, Captain Ripley and Commissioner Pike leave the office, walk down the hall, and get stabbed to death by Cordell. Mallory's attacked shortly afterwards, and in a scene both clever and dumb, escapes from her handcuffs and climbs onto the roof. Meanwhile, Forrest is arrested and thrown into the back of a police van, hijacked by Officer Cordell. Mallory follows in a cruiser. After a high-speed chase, Cordell parks at the warehouse and tries to kill Jack, but Mallory shows up with a shotgun. Cordell gets in the van and drives away, trying to escape. Jack grabs the side of the van, fighting with Cordell until the maniac cop accidentally drives into a pole, impaling himself. The van drives off the side of the pier and crashes into the water below. Jack survives while Cordell's presumed dead. Later, a hand emerges from the water, telling the audience the maniac cop has survived. The coroner's office, if you don't mind me starting out for a second, we learned two very important pieces of information. That Cordell didn't die, and this coroner cannot give CPR.
1: That is true. This is one of those classic movie examples of... The person doing the scene has no idea what real CPR looks like. <laughs>
0: right. And he doesn't push down on his chest at all. Right, He right, just right. puts his hands on his heart, bends his elbows <laughs> like he's going in for a little kiss, <laughs> and then pulls back. It's like the bellows that you use exactly. for like a fireplace. <laughs>
1: if I just put warm pressure on his heart... I think that's a touch on what I was saying before, too, with the bad acting. It's not necessarily... That the actors are bad. It's just a lot of bad choices like that. Right. Like people who don't know how to walk with a cane, or people who don't know how to do CPR, and it shows. It telegraphs so yeah. very loudly in this fucking movie.
0: Yeah, you gotta lock your arms, dude. Lock your <laughs> arms.
1: It's like when somebody tries to give mouth to mouth, but they don't hold the person's nose. Like right. all the air you're blowing in is just going straight out their nostrils. Yeah, and not they just doing consume
0: anything. their lips. I've seen that in movies where you're just like,
1: oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to say despite its bad acting moments and everything else there is one area where maniac cop is better than the the run of the mill 80s slasher uh which are the action sequences. Yeah. In a lot of cases pretty impressively staged fights and chase sequences especially towards the end of the film here.
0: Yeah. There's a whole bit of like drama, maybe sort of more stereotypical horror Chase scenes uh, being done in the commissioner's office. Mm-hmm. And I really like most of it. And then it leads into uh, a pretty wild like car, car stunt chase. Yeah. And for a low budget film. Yeah. Really well done. Let me just take the commissioner's office scene to task for a second. So it starts off with a really great idea. Cordell comes in. He kills the commissioner and he kills the captain. Mm-hmm. So I'd just like to point out the heroes aren't doing jack shit. They're That's not true. like They're... saving anybody. Oh. They're totally losing across the board. <laughs> that is true. But then they have this great idea, which is that Mallory is handcuffed to another officer who gets mm-hmm. killed. And so Cordell has to kill Mallory to kind of clean up all the witnesses, but she's attached to this other guy. Right. Great idea. It added suspense. It added a She's got to drag his body. She mm-hmm. drags him to another room. She's got to get herself uncuffed. She's got, he's got to burst the door. That all works. Mm. It's the beginning of it that's super fucking stupid (laughs) because she's her and the cop when he's still alive are like walking around a corner. The hand of Cordell sort of comically comes out of nowhere (laughs) and stabs the cop in the stomach. He just insta dies. And then Cordell... Does nothing. He just stands there. Maybe... Oh, maybe. he went
1: back down the way he came. He came out of the dark shadows, stabbed the guy, and then slipped back in again. Or
0: maybe he's like the guy in The Time Traveler's <laughs> Wife, and he
1: just <laughs> randomly <laughs> vanishes and he can't control it. <laughs> that would explain his missing in the alley earlier, right. too. Right. He just gone. can't
0: control when it happens. It's just time <laughs> changes and he's somewhere else. Because the whole idea of like Mallory having to drag this body and get to safety, that all works... But literally, Cordell just killed the guy. There's no reason he couldn't just walk around the corner.
1: Slid her throat. Yeah. You're right there she's three feet in front of you
0: it's like he put his hands over his face and gave her a 60 second head start (laughs) one two I'm coming three four five you got 60 seconds Mississippi's yeah (laughs) one Mississippi two Mississippi she's dragging him down the hallway so it sucks because I I really like though she slams the door and then she gets herself uncuffed and then she throws a chair through the window and crawls out onto the roof and then she has a fight with him on the roof
1: which in Actually fucks up because Bruce Campbell's character is hiding down below. He doesn't want to go inside for fear that they'll arrest him. Right. And when she throws the chair through, she gets the attention of the people she needs to, which are the cops on the street below and Bruce, but then they see him and go arrest him rather than helping her.
0: Well, that's his own dumb fault. Like Bruce Campbell's character is full of dumb plans in this movie. Oh, I
1: agree. I completely agree.
0: I'm gonna sit across the street from the
1: commissioner's office out in the open. I would have been in the diner. Across yeah. the street, or at the Burger King, or something, and just been like watching. we twelve through the window. blocks
0: away. Like, what is he? He doesn't think he's going to do anything, and then he just ends up being bait. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a big point of saying, "Like, hey, Mallory can outshoot me. Okay, fine. Then stand
1: yeah. two blocks away. She's perfectly capable. Exactly. She knows what she's doing. There's this great scene. Talking of which, with Bruce Campbell escaping from the commissioner's office or what it was earlier scene, He pulls out a gun, pointing it at these other cops that are kind of guarding him, and he says, I'm out of here. I didn't do it. I'm leaving. One of the cops says, are you going after him? The other one says, you heard him. He didn't do it. So that's in an
0: earlier scene. That's Right. That's a police station, and I thought it was fucking
1: hilarious. (laughs) I'm sitting here like, is that all it takes? Yeah. If I get arrested, I can just be like, hey, I didn't do it, and they'll fucking let me walk. Dude, that's, dude,
0: that's Bruce Campbell, baby. Hail to the king, baby. I love it. <laughs> Good, bad. That's the guy with the gun. <laughs> You're totally right. <laughs> the whole car chase is like fucking thrilling yeah. for like a like a little Larry Cohen movie. Yeah. I don't know if this is where they spent their budget for this film, but it worked. There is something about these B-movies that they just like throw their money at car chases.
1: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, we got to have something. We got to have a... Bruce gets thrown in the back of a big fucking police like, van. Yeah, like a paddy wagon. Yeah. And then Cordell gets in it and drives off with it. And they have this big warehouse fight. Yeah,
0: Mallory wrestling. comes. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's not, let, so let's get everybody there because I don't want to blow past that warehouse fight because that warehouse fight sucks ass. I wasn't going to. Everything yeah. in the commissioner's office was is really good, other than the the one yeah. little fart. But the fucking
1: warehouse scene sucks. Oh, yeah. I was just getting there in a hurry so we could land on it. Because
0: it's like there's all this great action. You know, there's all this great like Uh the car leaps into the air and, you know, Mallory's got the shotgun and they're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what they're going to do. It's very Blues Brothers. When they get to the warehouse, First, Cordell grabs a fire axe and starts breaking through the door. Yes. And then hilariously, Bruce Campbell's character's idea is to just burst through the door
1: <laughs> you have to admit it was an original idea. It did take it by surprise.
0: Right. Maybe he was thinking like, "Oh, I'll take Cordell by surprise. I'll hit him and then I'll run." But what it actually does is ca- takes Cordell by surprise cuz it's so stupid.
1: Right. <laughs> He's like, "What? Why would you wait? Why?" <laughs> okay, now I'm just going to kill you with an axe. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so then Mallory runs in with her shotgun, which she fires in the air and not yeah, at Cordell. That's
1: fucking helpful. When you're aiming and you're the better shot than Bruce Campbell is, You should be able to hit him with your shotgun. It's got a widespread on it, you know?
0: But that's not the real egregious thing. (laughs) Real egregious thing is that Cordell knocks the shotgun out of her hand because he throws Forrest, Jack Forrest, Bruce Campbell's character, at her. Yes. So then she has a choice to go for the gun or what she actually does, which is goes to unhandcuff
1: (laughs) Officer Forrest. At this moment... He's over on the left side. He's handcuffed. He's good. Grab the gun. Shoot this fucker in the face. Exactly. Nope. I'm going to take this small key out of my pocket, run over and delicately undo the handcuffs. Then Cordell
0: picks up the gun, which just, to me, they should just both
1: die right there because they were so stupid. Exactly. Some other cop will step in, take up the torch, and do the hero thing. Right. You're both fucking dumb. So Off you go. It
0: it just like descends into madness because it was so good. And then it was like, and then it's just like she goes to the key. She goes to unlock him, loses yeah. the gun. And then he shoots the rando
1: cop that shows up that just is right. there. To- also, by the way, now that Cordell's got the fucking gun, he's got these two dead to rights and he shoots random third guy right. instead.
0: Which then allows Bruce Campbell to jump in and sort of like Liu Kang style <laughs> kick the gun out of Cordell's hand.
1: <laughs> Nobody's making good choices in this scene, right? Nobody,
0: <laughs> exactly. And so, like the last thing you would do, you'd I'd run out because yeah. you, you can't physically fight him. That's true. You can't physically fight the maniac cop. So so just leave Fucking it. Just leave. Kicking yeah. the gun out of his hand and then just being there. Yeah, I will say though, I'll, I'll give the movie a little credit when it shows Robert Zadar's face, the maniac cop. It looks great.
1: They did a very good job with him, yes.
0: Because they have all the slashes from when they took the uh, when they took the knife in the in the the shower shower room. And so his like his mouth is sort of slit open, like the Joker. Like they slit like a big smile on his face. I I got these scars. (laughs) I used to be an officer. I was in the movie. I was a cop like you. My father, (laughs) my my father was a cop. (laughs) He's a maniac, Bruce Campbell. Kill Tom Atkins. <laughs> you have nothing over me <laughs> with all your strength.
1: Save the boat. <laughs> I got the bombs on the boat. You want to know how?
0: <laughs> I've got a whole movie <laughs> that I'm going to do about the bombs on the boat. If you want to hear about that, listen to any of our other episodes, especially The Blair Witch Project. Um, the, the fight... Where Cordell drives the van, which I like I've no idea what his plan is at this time.
1: I, I don't think even he knows. I
0: he's just drives towards the edge of the pier. I don't know if he's hoping for some sort of like E.T. moment where he <laughs> flies off the end of the pier and He's... just goes just goes into the sun He's like... be
1: like those two idiots in Greece just flying off into the fucking. <laughs> do, 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 do.
0: I don't know what his plan was. If he was hoping to just drive off the side of the water and then escape, but but Bruce Campbell fucks it up. I actually like them fighting over the over the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I actually like why he gets impaled, which is just physically, you you can't see the pole. Uh huh. Because the pole is pointing right at him. He can't physically You just don't see have it.
1: a good visual on it right. from that vent where you're sitting He's and all that shit. He's fighting
0: yeah. Bruce Campbell. He's getting punched in the face, even yeah. though Bruce Campbell's character can't really hurt him.
1: But he's putting up a goddamn good fight.
0: It's distracting enough (laughs) that he doesn't notice the pole and he gets impaled. Mm
1: -hmm. That I like. The stunt shot is great. Oh, when he jumps out of the driver's side and flies under the water, that's really cool.
0: It's really, really cool. It's one of those stunts that you can tell there's some real people there. Oh, yeah. And that kind of stunt is done by people who have the skill set to just pray they don't
1: die. Basically, <laughs>
0: because yeah. I don't know what you could, what skill set you can have. Jumping, <laughs> j- j- right. you're, you're a good jumper, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this stunt guy has two qualifications: he's a good jumper and he's not Bruce Campbell, and a good swimmer. He's going <laughs> right. to have to be. He's neither what They're neither one of the actual actors. Well, especially
1: so, as close to the pier as they were, like he could have easily smacked on a rock or hit a seagull on the way down, or right something.
0: That's that's like the only qualification. Like I'm not saying stunt stunt doubles or whatnot don't do hard work. But there are some stunts that they are just literally praying they don't die. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, I know that if I do die, they can continue to shoot this movie (laughs) because it wasn't Bruce Campbell or Robert Zadar.
1: Exactly right.
0: (laughs) Still... It is a pretty fucking great shot, even though yeah. we fucking know what's going to happen. We well, know that gloved hand, that hand is going to come out of the water. Pretty
1: well a fart at the ending. It's so predictable. If it wasn't a hand coming up, it would have been him standing in the shadows later as they're at a funeral or something. There, like, I think
0: there's an extended cut version, which if any of you are looking for the extended cut of, of, of Maniac Cop. Can't exist without that. 4K. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there's like another scene where he shows up and kills the mayor. Okay, which I actually like that a little bit. I would better. have liked
1: that. I would have liked to have seen that. Not yeah. gonna lie, that would have I think added a little more to the end of this.
0: I wouldn't show the hand reach out of the water. I'd kind of show maybe the the great stunt, I and think- then I'd show Bruce Campbell look into the cab like an hour later and see him and Mallory see that he's not there. Right. Yeah. And then cut to. I, like- I think
1: more horror movies could do well with that sort of thing like instead of doing the cliche the hand up from the grave or whatever else the big surprise where he jumps out of the box at the end shit like that just be like this is two days later they're coming out of the hospital they're driving home they're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the kitchen suddenly he just walks in and fucking slits her throat
0: yeah i think that some movies can make the cliche work for instance when we did leslie vernon yes i would have refunded that movie if he hadn't died and then, and then sat up and then the sat up again absolutely in the coroner's office but that was a movie that was playing up on the cliches right in the
1: context of that film that was the only way you could have ended it
0: yeah that was the only way Leslie Vernon would have wanted it he of course he wants to come back like every other exactly. killer
1: but let's the year 2022 moving forward into 23 Let's get out of these old tropes. Let's do something new with our well, shit.
0: Well, I mean, again, you when know? you're watching this, like, Larry Conan... Uh, Larry Conan. Conan <laughs> La- Larry, Larry, <laughs> Larry Conan, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> we went different Conans. But when you watch this kind of Larry Cohen movie, I mean, as as great as some of these low-budget movies are, these movies exist to make a profit oh, so yeah. they can make 25 more of them. Agreed. I mean, Which you great. and I love Trauma. Will kiss the ground that Lloyd Kaufman walks on. Oh,
1: I'll, I'll give him a hug every day.
0: He also produced Witchcraft. He did, which was he a just—it's a money machine. It's just—it's a yep. cheap movie that yep. you know
1: they. There's twenty five more of them, so
0: they make ten thousand. They make they. <laughs> it costs ten thousand dollars. They make a hundred thousand. They make a new movie. Maniac cop. That's why it has that ending. And that's what this is meant to be.
1: Arguably, from what I've read, most people feel that part two is far superior to part one.
0: I haven't seen it in a long time. I would love to cover it because it has an actor I really like in it. I remember it being better than this movie.
1: I have never seen part two or three of the saga. I've only seen this first one. Oh, part three, so, you're really missing out. I bet, yes. It's like RoboCop 3. I'm really yeah. missing the boat there. <laughs>
0: right. Maybe one day we'll do a theme month where we do all
1: part threes. Maybe if we found a movie that had four parts to it, And we covered the entire saga in one month.
0: Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. That'd get so fucking bored so quickly. Probably. But But, hey, if
1: you guys are into it, let us know.
0: And Maybe if it was the right movie. Yeah, because I think... I think when it comes to part threes, we've pretty much hit most of the franchises that had a good part three.
1: Uh, oh, both of them, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Phantasm and Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I actually like Jason 3D. I,
1: I do actually. I appreciate that one for a lot of what it has going for it. It's yeah, a really good film. But in I'm, my opinion. I
0: mean, I'm a, I'm a Friday Thirteenth yeah. diehard. So. I can't
1: say a lot of love for like Amityville 3D.
0: Or Chucky 3D. Chucky 3 was a Chucky 3D, not Chucky 3D. Chucky 3.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jaws 3.
0: Hellraiser 3. Oh, please. what a piece of shit Jesus that is! Christ. Yeah. But but if you are looking for a real piece of shit, I also recommend Maniac Comp 3: Badge <laughs> of Silence. <laughs> so you know what I think of this movie. Mm. There's a lot that I like in it, and I think there's actually a really good movie inside a movie that unfortunately makes the choice in the end to not be very good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you. I feel that's where this movie lies with me. It's great 80s nostalgia. Again, B-movie gold. And it just could have been more. It, it's something that had great potential. Some of that's not their fault. Like Cordell, for example, as a villain. Great idea, great villain, great He's makeup. Great actor, great... It's interesting character. Yeah. But also this movie comes out in a time where he never really could compare i guess is the right word to the charisma of his other 80s slashers that he had to go against somebody like jason who had that that following or michael myers who was kind of the grandfather of it all in a way or even freddie who had that personality that charisma that charm there's he was in a tight spot to try and fight against all of that and and have his horror villainy known this movie was fighting against a lot of big charm movies of that time era especially in the slasher genre and it just didn't have a, it didn't have a real good fight in it.
0: That's a really like interesting idea, because you're right. He doesn't have the like the charisma of a Chucky mm-hmm. or a Freddy Krueger, but he's not hardcore enough to be a Jason Voorhees. Exactly. And so you'd have to go like a more sympathetic route.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know when Pinhead became more sympathetic because you started to learn his backstory. Right. You'd have to do something like that mm-hmm. where there's an anti-hero vibe to him
1: in a way yeah absolutely now
0: i'm not saying that you would make him the hero i'm just saying because i i don't want that i want him to be the villain i like right. the whole idea of a, a cop trying to do the right thing that doesn't always do the right thing confronted with this idea of like what happens when the badge is tainted yeah. in the eyes of people what happens when when the badge is perverted mm-hmm. but you're right in that it has to be more interesting to play as like a real like Art house movie, or like Mm. how like Wes Craven might have handled subject matter like that. I think he could have done a really good job with this, Mm -hmm. or John Carpenter,
1: or yeah, exactly. You know,
0: and I'm not knocking on the director. I think the director is fine. I don't mean it like that. I I I just think that like with there 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 could have been stronger hands on this Mm -hmm. that would have said like, hey, it's a cool surprise to kill your hero two thirds through the movie, but you kind of lose what the movie's about.
1: Or even let's make stronger choices with our characters stronger choices with our story stronger choices with our backgrounds so that our villain is a little more well yeah cuz Robert Zadar is a good actor of i like he is. him yeah
0: i great. like him uh, in many movies mm-hmm. Your point is so that's so dead on and I never even thought of that that if you had you would have to go this third route because you're right he doesn't hit those other two vibes of the, of, the, of the of the big killer so in order for him to like franchise or even just have a really compelling story here mm-hmm. you'd have to like double down on this is a, a conflicted guy who did the wrong thing like it's a character study like right. it's it, he's a character and Tom Atkins McCrae is a character yeah. and they're both
1: sort of like like Reflecting each other in these interesting ways. And by them not taking the opportunity to do that, this character was, in comparison with all the other slashers surrounding him at that time era, basically just the guy in the shower jumping on his back trying to give him a hug. Right, You know what I mean? It's all he could do. Right. I'm gonna
0: get you, Jason!
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that doesn't take away, necessarily, again, from all the good stuff about this movie. I like this movie. I think it's fun. I gotta give my love to Bruce and Tom, because...
0: Yeah, don't don't uh, don't forget Lorene Landon.
1: Oh yeah, that's who I meant exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And Robert Zadar. <laughs> now, nah, they're all four great. Sam Raimi's in it
1: too. He is. Yeah. By the way, anybody who wants that little Sam Raimi Bruce connection, it's there.
0: Everybody, it's it's again, it's B movie gold. I think two thirds of the script is, is really good.
1: Yeah, I just wish they could have hammered home the last third.
0: Well, and also the first mm. ten minutes. Oh, I don't mean that the last it,
1: third in time, but the last third of the script that should have been good.
0: Yeah. So, okay. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. it's like because again. I go back and I'm like, why did he kill these people? Yeah. Is he not like perms? Like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) The ozone. Somebody think of the ozone.
0: (laughs) It's all the hairspray. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Spoils of Horror. Tune in next week for a movie that we have not decided upon yet. (laughs) Surprise.
1: We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Oh, it'll be Uh... great. Oh, it's
0: one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the
1: best we've ever done.
0: It's mm-hmm. one of those great, heady, A24... Yeah, you're uh, never going to regret this. It's, the the it's, next show it's so is the definitive show of our thoughtful, podcast. thoughtful, definitely a favorite of somebody's. Literally universally favorite. And yeah.
1: Nobody hates this. <laughs> nobody. <laughs>
0: Apparently, we're coloring ha- covering Halloween ends.
1: <laughs> Bonus episode. Check it out.
0: I don't know. We'll cover something. It'll be great.
1: All right. Until then, guys. See you later. Bye.